Well, Pastor Chad has been teaching a series called The Least of These, and these messages have focused on God's heart for the ones who are hurting, the ones who are in great need, and how you and I can be Yeshua's hands and feet to reach out and help lift up those who are considered downtrodden, to elevate those who are regarded as low on the end of the ladder. And Pastor Chad emphasized in his messages that those whom the world considers the least in their outward appearance, from God's perspective, these are only people in a temporary position or presentation that God desires that every person, no matter what end of the scale they're on, God has a created destiny for them. He wants to raise them up and even bring them to heavenly places in the Messiah, Yeshua. And so far, we've talked about various people who are considered downtrodden through the centuries. We talked about women, children, and even slaves. And tonight, I'm going to be speaking about another class of people that have been ill-treated in much of the world over many centuries, and that is the Jewish people. A Jewish boy was uh, living in a little Polish village when he and other Jews were rounded up by Nazi SS troops, and they were sentenced to death. And this Jewish boy joined his fellow Jews in digging a shallow ditch for their graves. And then along with his parents, he faced a firing squad. And sprayed with machine gun fire, their bodies fell into the ditch. And his body fell as well upon his own parents' bodies. None of those bullets hit the boy, though he was splattered with the blood of his parents. And he laid on top of them. And as darkness came, he crawled out of that ditch and he walked along a road and he stopped at a house. And when they saw the blood and the dirt and knew he was one of those Jewish boys, they turned him away. They didn't take him in. And then he went to another house and the same thing happened. He was rejected. He was not brought in and, and helped. And something inside caused him to say something very strange for a Jew to say, and when the next family responded to his knocking on their door, they heard him cry, don't you recognize me? I am the Jesus that you say you love. Don't you recognize me? I'm the Jesus that you say I love, you love. And after a long pause, the woman at the door lifted him up into her arms. She kissed him. And from that day on, she and her family loved and cared for that boy as though he was one of their own. I am the Jesus you say you love. Matthew 25 verse 40, our text tells us that one day the great king and judge of all the earth will say to people like that kind-hearted Christian woman who took in that Jewish boy, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. I want us to read the passage again. That is our theme text for this series, Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when, we, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I'm wondering, like many people wonder, who are these brothers of Yeshua? You know that no scholars have had a consensus about who this who these brethren are. Now certainly the principles that Yeshua is teaching in this passage can apply to many different classes of people who have been ill-treated and downtrodden. And these principles teach us to reach out to those who are the least in the world, the most needy. And certainly Yeshua's own ministry demonstrated how important that was for him as he reached out to those kinds of people. But because there's no consensus, because it's a mystery, I, I want to suggest maybe my own speculation on who these brethren of Yeshua are. Now let me just tell you what the others have said, and then I'll tell you what I think. Others have said that these least of Yeshua's brethren are all people, whether they're followers of Yeshua or not. Other scholars say they are anyone who suffers and is needy. Some scholars say these are the evangelists who proclaim the message of salvation and they will be ill-treated. Well, if no one else can agree, here's my idea. And maybe it might solve the question. Who knows? These least of my brethren could very well be the Jewish people, Yeshua's own flesh and blood, whether they are Messianic Jews or the Jewish people as a whole. We do know one thing, that the Jewish people themselves often spoke of one another or to one another as brothers, whether they were born to the same nuclear family or not. In Genesis 13, 8, we read, So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Well, we know that these two men were not born to the same father or the same mother, yet they refer to each other as brothers. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, we read this. When Moses was grown, he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. In yesterday's Torah portion, 
We read in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Clearly, in that context, Moses is speaking about fellow Jews, not literal brothers from the same parents. And these Jewish brethren are contrasted then with a larger class of people, aliens. Another class, I shouldn't say larger class, non-Jews from the nations living amongst the Jewish people. Now, I don't have time to go into too many examples, but let me jump to the New Testament. And we see that the Jewish disciples of Yeshua not only referred to each other as brothers, but even those who were unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem and in the land of Israel, they referred to as brothers, at least in the first several chapters in the book of Acts. When the Jewish evangelist Stephen was being stoned by unbelieving Jews, this is what he said to the high priest and the rest of the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin. He said, brethren and fathers, listen. Now it's always important to look at the context of any text, otherwise it's a pretext. And what is the context of our passage, Matthew chapter 25? It's part of a larger segment in the Gospel of Matthew dealing with the last days. It begins at the end of chapter 23 and ends at the end of chapter 25, where our text is found. At the end of chapter 23, Yeshua points to the future and says to those religious leaders in Jerusalem, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. And then from the beginning of chapter 24, Yeshua tells his disciples about what will happen in relation to his return to the earth. And he gives many answers to a question his disciples presented to him in verse 3. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And then Yeshua lists many signs of his soon coming. And he specifically speaks concerning how at the very end there will... Uh, there will be a great tribulation for the Jewish people. He says in verses 19 and to 20 of that chapter, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great trib tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor, nor ever shall be. Well, this great tribulation is first and foremost a tribulation that impacts the Jewish people. What, now, why else would Yeshua have specifically mentioned praying that this tribulation will not come on a Sabbath unless it had something to do with the Jewish people and the condition they will face during this time of tribulation? And then Yeshua continues throughout chapter 24, speaking to his Jewish disciples about what the last days will look like. And then in the next chapter, our chapter, chapter 25, Yeshua talks about how important it is to be ready for his return, saying in verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And even the parable immediately prior to our text, concerning a man going to a far country and then returning to demand an account from those he gave various sums of money, which we call talents, which he expected them to invest wisely in light of his return to take that account. And then we come to our text. In the same context of these two chapters and a little bit of chapter 23. 
And Yeshua begins our passage with these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels, holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. It's interesting that when Yeshua returns and sits on his throne, the separation he makes between these sheep and the goats are actually a separation of nations. That's the word that's used here. Now that could be a people group, or it could be nations with borders, but it's not just individuals, but it's nations. And we read this in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3, concerning the last days and concerning nations in relation to Israel and the Jewish people. Zechariah 12, 3 and following, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. And then in Zechariah chapter 14, verses two and three, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. And then it says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. Clearly then, just before the return of the Lord, there's gonna be a great tribulation that's mentioned in the chapter before our passage, and it will involve nations coming against the nation of Israel and its capital. And then we read in another prophecy from the Hebrew scriptures, something similar, Joel chapter three, verses one to three. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations." and they have also divided up my land. So looking at the context of our passage that concerns the last days and deals with how nations will be judged concerning the way they treat the nation of the Jewish people, then it could be that when Yeshua speaks of fellow Jews about the last days and the invasion of his kingdom to the earth, that the least of these brothers he refers to are actually his fellow Jews during these last days when the Gentile nations, instead of treating the people of Israel kindly, have come to hate them and seek their destruction. And how will King Yeshua deal with these end times Satan-inspired nations that come up, up against Jerusalem? Or at least those armies from those nations? In Matthew 25, verse 41, we read, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from you, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I've spent a lot of time trying to make the point that Matthew 25, 31 and following could be primarily about an end time scenario in which Jewish people experience a great tribulation. And that Yeshua is warning those who will read these words in those days to stand on the side of the least of my brethren, the Jewish people, for such a time as that. During that great tribulation, during that, those last great battles for the city of Jerusalem. Now, in the short time I've got left, I want to make four points. And number one, I want to make this point. And I'm going to get more practical now. If God loves the Jewish people, then so should we. Isn't that kind of a simple point? <laughs> okay, here it is. We know that God has a special love for Israel. And he has a special love for the least. 
And Yeshua demonstrated that as he reached out and elevated women, children, even slaves, and God has a special love for the least of the nations, the Jewish people. This is what the Lord says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 7, concerning the Jewish people. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. The least of all the peoples. Now, we don't think of them as the least of all the peoples today because Israel has been transformed. It is, it, it's, it's a powerhouse in the world today. But for the most part in history, the Jews at least have been treated as the least of the nations. Now, even if you don't agree with me that this passage is about the Jewish people, I think we can all agree that the Jewish people have experienced what it means to be the least of these. They have been homeless, wandering 40 years in the wilderness. They have been described as God's bride. And in some ways, they have been treated like women who in times past and in certain countries even today have not been allowed to speak their minds, be allowed to vote, to be allowed to serve in certain professions. The Jews are called the children of Israel. And they in some ways know what it's like to be disciplined and chastened by their father. The Jews were slaves in Egypt. The Jews were exiles in Babylon. The Jews experienced another exile since 70 AD for the last almost 2,000 years. And so they know what it is to be like a stranger in a foreign land. Perhaps there has never been a nation more mistreated through the centuries than the Jewish nation. But despite the fact that they've been hated and downtrodden, they are eternally loved by God. Yes, his chastening has been hard at times, but it is for their good, just as a loving father at times needs to discipline his children for their good. And their father has promised to ultimately bless them. And one day they will no longer be the tail, but the head. If God loves the Jewish people in this special way, we who are made in the image of God and should share in his attributes, then we should love the Jewish people too. Can I get an amen or yeah, I agree or whatever you want to say, as long as you don't disagree with me. Just kidding. Here's my second point. As threats against the Jewish people are intensifying in these, what I would call the last of the last days, we must come to their aid. As threats come against the Jewish people in these days, we should come to their aid. It's a proven fact that anti-Semitism is raising its ugly head again in our world. Following the Holocaust, there was a general remorse concerning the way the Jewish people were hated and then slaughtered by Hitler and the Nazis, men who sprung up within a so-called Christian nation. In a time of great economic and political crisis in Europe, the Jews became the scapegoat for nearly every problem. And you know, we're going through a time of great global chaos and crisis, and it's no surprise that the Jews are once again being blamed for much of the world's ills. Just as Yeshua focused much of his ministry on those who were considered outcasts, so we as Yeshua followers must not ignore the plight of Jewish people who are, con con are increasingly be considered outcasts and should not be part, at least play a significant part on the world stage. 
And once again, we have Hitler-like leaders ruling a powerful nation, nation that's obtaining nuclear capabilities and have not hidden their agenda, but have declared from the rooftops death to the Zionist entity. It's time to wipe this nation off the face of the earth. Now, many people in the church are shocked and repulsed by the ignorance and in some cases, full knowledge by Christians during the time when there was an impending Holocaust in the late 1930s and early 1940s. Appalled at their silence and their indifference, and yet the threat of another Holocaust is just as real today as it was back then. Where are the Christians who are speaking up and are exposing the lies of the enemies against the Jews today? There are some, and we count ourselves as part of that tiny minority, but once again, most of the church is silent today. The saying goes, blood flows thicker than water. Now, my brother and I, my flesh and blood brother Rick and I didn't get along very well a lot of the time. We've become great friends now. But I remember when a bully on the playground tried to mess with my brother, I told him he'd have to mess with me first. And when Yeshua says in Matthew 15, 40, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me, Yeshua was in essence saying, I take it personally how you treat my family, my fellow Jews. Be nice to them, otherwise you're gonna have to deal with me. (laughs) God has made an eternal covenant with the Jewish people. So inseparably tied is the Lord to his covenant people that the way we treat him, them, is he takes personally. As if this was the way we treat him. This is clear from verse 40 of our text. And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. And listen to what it says in Zechariah chapter two, verse eight. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the pupil of his eye. Try harming a son of Israel, poking to harm one of God's chosen people, and you're going to be poking the Lord himself in the eye. Number three, we are called to help the Jewish people in practical ways, especially during these latter days. Yeshua is very practical. He lists examples of how to express his love toward his brethren, offering food and drink to the hungry, showing hospitality to the stranger, giving clothing to those who can't afford it, visiting the sick and those in prison. And one thing we know about the gospel is that it's not just a social gospel. Uh, The good news also needs to be preached, and I'll talk about that in a few moments. But the good news is most believable when that good news causes people not just to talk about Yeshua's love and his salvation, but to show his love in practical ways. Yeshua himself declared in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lights do more shining than talking. And you and I need to walk the talk. We need to shine the gospel. Let me give you a few examples. This will bless you, I think. I spoke about the fact that most of the church was silent during the Holocaust, but there were exceptions. And 
A lot of you know the story of Corrie ten Boom, who took into her home perfect strangers, persecuted Jews in Holland, and, he, and she hid them in her home and, and rescued many at the risk of her own life. In more recent years, I think of a, someone who stands out in my mind, and, and he's a dear, he was a dear friend named Gustav Scheller. When a mass of immigrants who were prisoners of Zion in Russia, the former Soviet Union, started coming to Israel in droves in the early 1990s. Many of them came with practically nothing. They were those destitute, the downtrodden, the oppressed, and even had been many of them prisoners. And my friend Gustav had a call from God to not only bring to Israel these impoverished Jewish exiles, but to honor them and to show love toward them in very practical ways. Uh, he, Yeshua speaks of the righteous of, as those who saw him and his brothers as hungry and thirsty. And on that ship, which I had the privilege to sail on along with my wife Anne several times, from Odessa to Haifa, not only did we bring them onto the ship and, and get them to the promised land, but it was on a ship that in some ways was like a cruise ship and there were tablecloths and fine uh, dinnerware on the tables and goblets and, and uh, music being played as they, they ate at those tables. They were being honored as they were given food and drink. And I can tell you many of those who were honored in that way and known and came to know that Christians had brought them home have come to know the Savior. Hallelujah. Yeshua also talks about how to demonstrate his love for the least of his brethren in another practical way. By feeding and clothing those in need. I'd love to give you a tour. Pastor Chad would love to give you a tour of our facilities where we have our manna kitchen just around the corner. Uh, and uh, where we serve more than 250 hot meals every week to those who are needy. Here in Jerusalem. Most of them Jewish, but not all. And then it would be great to uh, take you next door to the Manna Kitchen, to the place where we distribute him, uh, food items that they can take home with them, and then bring you to our clothing distribution center where we provide good clothes for free. And it would be wonderful for some of you to, to come along with Pastor Vaco, who heads up our Redeemed in Zion ministry. And I think you'd find it fascinating to go with him in his van to an appliance warehouse or store, along with some Messianic new immigrants as they get to choose the particular appliance that's most suitable for their kitchen and to realize that there are believers that care for them and want to honor them and provide for their needs. Why do we call it Redeemed in Zion, by the way? <laughs> wonderful passage in Isaiah 51 verse 11. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Well, it's one thing to bring Jewish immigrants to the land, but if we just bring them to the land and then don't help them from there, many of them will stop singing it will not be everlasting joy. They'll get discouraged in this hard land, the land that sometimes consumes its inhabitants, and they go and they look for another nation, and they flee the land. Well, we call it redeemed in Zion because we want to help them not only survive, but thrive in this land. I think Yeshua would consider that touching the lives of the least 
of his brethren. I'm personally grateful for the hundreds of volunteers who have been part of our congregation and many of you even in this room that volunteer to help some of the least of Yeshua's brethren here in this land. It could be in a hospital, it could be in a prison, it could be in the home of an elderly shut-in, it could be all kinds of different ways. Some of you even visiting prisoners. And I think of Pastor Kokeb, the Ethiopian pastor in one of our congregations in our network of Sarigim, who has a heart to go and visit Ethiopian prisoners in jails around this country. I come to this one last point. I'm not going to say this is the end because when the preacher tells you it's the end, they're just beginning. But here's the last point. We are called to help the Jewish people in spiritual ways. I've talked about how we're to help in practical ways, but what about spiritual ways? Number one, while it's great to clothe those who are sick or lacking clothing, but ultimately there's a spiritual nakedness that requires the only clothing that can cover our sin and shame, and that's the robes of Yeshua's righteousness. So we've got to tell the good news about that. And we must also take people into his spiritual clothing distribution center to put on his raiment of righteousness. And we need to be engaged in helping the sick. And it's wonderful that Christians have been leaders in the world for many centuries in establishing hospitals and clinics in the poorest places on earth. But ultimately, people need to experience the miraculous healing touch of the greatest physician of all. We need to be quick to point them to Yeshua to deal with spiritual sickness as well. And then I'm blessed that so many of us have a heart to reach out to those who are captives spiritually. Yes, visiting those in prison who are behind bars. I know of a church, by the way, Church of the Highlands, who are supporting our work here in Israel. They have 10 campuses of their church in Alabama that are in penitentiaries in the state of Georgia. And every week, prisoners coming to faith in Yeshua because they hear the gospel. Not just because they've been visited, but they heard the gospel. The good news of deliverance from spiritual captivity. Number two, besides these things, we need to pray. We need to pray. This has been a wonderful thing that I've discovered, my wife and I have discovered, many of you have discovered that one of the easiest ways to bring the gospel to somebody in this land is to offer to pray for them. It is a rare thing for someone in this land to say, no, don't pray for me. And when we pray, we express the heart of God. And sometimes the gospel even slips into our prayers. What a wonderful thing is to pray for the nation for such a time as this. The way we treat Yeshua's brothers, the way we treat the downcast, no matter who they are in the world, has eternal consequences. Has eternal consequences. Let me tell you what one consequence is. If we treat people unfairly or run away from them in their time of need, then this is what the King of Glory says 
to people like that. In verse 41 of our text, then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. That would be a tragic eternal consequence for those of us who don't express the love of Yeshua to the least of his brethren. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And our job is to populate heaven and deprive hell. This place of everlasting punishment, by the way, was not made for human beings. It was not designed for them, Yeshua says in our text. Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God's perfect will is that no one will go into the lake of fire that was designed for the devil and his demons. God wants his desires that everyone be saved. And he wants to use us to bring that good news in practical ways and through the preaching of the gospel. And let me tell you about a blessed eternity for those who do love on Yeshua's least of his brethren. Matthew 25, 33 and following, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Yeshua says, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. To inherit, what does that mean? It means to receive a benefit from someone that you have not earned. It's a gift. Well, that means that this blessing comes as a result of Yeshua's death. It's a free gift. It's an inheritance, not the wages that we have earned or deserve or are worthy of. It is a free gift that Yeshua gives to us. He took our penalty. He took our death on the cross. What was meant for our destruction if we follow Satan and his demons, he has taken upon himself that we might receive the inheritance as sons of God. And in verse 34 of our text, it says, the kingdom which is prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Think about that. Our king has been preparing his eternal kingdom for us for a long, long time. That means it's something beyond our imagination. Our eternal king created the universe in just six days. But think about the kind of kingdom he has prepared that has, he's been preparing for since the foundation of the world, since creation. Wow, can you imagine? It blows my mind. What awaits us? What an inheritance. What a kingdom. And think about this. Pastor Chad talked about the feeding of the 5,000 last week. And he said, when God elevates others he doesn't diminish the others and when Yeshua gave food to those 5,000 and more women and children included that bread and and those fish were not diminished in fact there were 12 baskets full at the end what an amazing over abundance that we're going to receive at the end because God is the God of the more than enough Hallelujah. What an inheritance we've got awaiting us if we will follow him by putting our trust in him 
and follow him by living for him. I can tell you that receiving Yeshua as your Lord and Savior, deciding I will follow you, is not just a one-time experience and then you go on living the life as you always have. That is only the beginning of the journey. The rest of the journey is to follow him as he has reached out to the least of his brethren, no matter who they are in the world, whether they be Jew or non-Jew, no matter what status or strata of society they are in. We need a baptism of love to be able to pour out Yeshua's love. And this is what it says in Romans 5, 5, and I close with this. Paul says, the love of God, which has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. I don't have enough love, but if I daily ask the Lord to fill me with his spirit afresh, that love returns. That love becomes boundless. That love causes me to want to help all those around me. Would you stand with me? Thank you, worship team, that you've come back. Would you pray along with me? If you don't know the Lord, pray with me these words. Oh Lord, I am a sinner. I have not kept your commandments. I've not loved you with all of my being and I've not loved my neighbor as myself. I have fallen short of your glory. Forgive me, Lord. Help me, Lord, to turn from my past life and become a new creation through your son, Yeshua. Give me your power by your Holy Spirit to be able to follow you without fail forever. In Yeshua's name. And fellow believers, would you pray this with me? Oh God, we need you. Pour out afresh into our hearts your love. Help us, Lord, to move beyond just befriending those we find easy to love. But help us love the least of these. Help of those of us who live in Jerusalem and in this nation of Israel to love your chosen people like you love them. An unconditional love, a practical love, a love that's expressed in practical ways and also in spiritual ways as we bring the good news to this nation. Help us not to become weary in well-doing, but stay on course and bring you glory. In Yeshua's name, amen.